0: Welcome to episode number 135 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety in industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are doing a replay of the opening keynote from the 2021 Dust Safety Conference. This was actually the keynote that I gave to kick off the event, and it was called Combustible Dust Safety Open Challenges and Charting a Path Forward. The 2021 Dust Safety Conference was held during March of 2020-21, it was a three-day live online conference, Then also had a number of pre-recorded tracks, all on topics of combustible dust as well. And all, there were over 50 presentations covering common challenges in combustible dust safety, case studies and success stories, recent trends, recent technology, and then all the kind of typical topics you'd see during um, combustible dust safety as well. Hazard identification, dust collection and cleaning, exposure prevention protection, management systems, and performance-based design. So we covered a lot during the event. Earlier in the podcast, in episode 128, we did a replay of Jason Kerbeck's presentation from CB Technology, NFPA 660, Upcoming NFPA Changes and What They Mean for Combustible Dust Safety. In today's episode, we want to do a replay of the opening keynote that I gave. This is really giving my view from DustX Research, from Dust Safety Science, and the Dust Safety Academy. About the challenges that we have as a community and then what we're doing moving forward to tackle those challenges. So in the opening keynote, I talked a bit about the background of the conference, but I got into these five challenges. Response to dust fires, developing a global incident reporting system, awareness and hazard of the risk, language and communication, and having a safe place to share information. We're going to replay this presentation over uh, the next two podcast episodes. The first one, we're going to talk really around the event itself, who attended, what kind of folks were there, and then get into the first two challenges, response to dust fires and this global incident reporting system. You'll hear me refer to a couple of things in the replay of the presentation in particular, dustsafetyshare.com, which is a place you can go and get access to the projects that we're developing, the working groups we're developing, I'll be talking about these in this presentation, and the incident reporting system that we're developing as well in terms of an honest reporting that that will all be in there and that's at dustsafetyshare.com if you're interested in the conference and you didn't attend you can go to dustsafetyacademy.com it's free to join there and there's a premium membership as well that has access to all the replays from this event the premium membership also includes access to the 2022 conference that we'll be having and over 100 training videos that we've done inside dust Safety Academy to date so that's at dustsafetyacademy.com so I'm going to kick it off now and go into the presentation. Uh, this was a presentation over slides, but I listen to it. It should be relatively easy to follow as an audio whether you're in your car on your way to work or wherever you listen to these audio sessions as well. So I hope you enjoy this presentation. Um, and I hope to see you at the 2022 Dust Safety Conference that we'll be having next year. Okay, so let me be the first to welcome you to the 2021 Global Dust Safety Conference. I can see we have about 75 people live tuning into the presentation right at the moment. We're really excited to have you here, really excited to have you at the event, really excited for the speakers, and really excited to help you get your questions answered for combustible dust safety. This event is our second year in a row that we've run this conference, and we're really excited both by the number of people that attended for a second time, showing that you know it really made an impact and made a difference, but also for the new faces that we have here at the event. So if it's the first time you've been here. Thank you for coming. And if you're returning again, thank you for coming back as well. We're really excited to have this as the event that we can run annually to share out what the latest information is for combustible dust safety, what the fundamentals and understanding and learning is needed to make your facility safe, and also to provide that community and that interaction that you can get your questions answered to to make facilities safer that you're working in every day. So this year's event, this is actually a little bit outdated. We've had probably another four or another 20 people register since I created this slide. Um, we have over 27 countries here today or at least watching the replays because some of these countries will be at night right at the, the time of this presentation, um, across 20 or more industry segments. Again, we're really excited at both the breadth and width of knowledge that we have, but also the specific topics, case studies on certain industries, information on the newest and latest technologies and topics that are really important to protecting a facility from combustible dust. One of the things that really excites me as the event organizer Um, and me as the Managing Director of DustX Research and and running the dust safety science platforms is the different groups that we have involved. So a quarter of the the folks that are here today are directly end users from industries handling combustible dust across a a variety of industries. We also have engineering services, um, consultants, protection equipment, cleaning, collection. But what really gets me excited is the other groups that we have as well, insurance agencies, regulators, associations, inspectors, researchers. So it really is our, our vision to bring everyone under one roof to improve combustible dust safety um, in industries that are handling and generating combustible dust. So really excited to do that. So I'm going to pop up for my presentation just for a sec on my screen to make sure that folks are there. It does look like, yes, they're they continuing to pile in. So very excited um, to, to run this conference and this event. I do want to say thank you to a number of folks that are involved with in what we do. Uh, the, the first is just our partners. Uh, the companies that support our mission and the associations and groups that we're involved with that really without them, we wouldn't have this event every year. Uh, We're really excited about the dust safety professionals platform at dustsafetyprofessionals.com. This is where you get access to all the companies and member companies that we have, you know, in our community today. We're really excited about this platform as within literally 24 or 48 hours, people can get help in Indiana, in South America, in Dubai, in Malaysia, and we've actually made those connections within the last seven days through the Dust Safety Professionals platform. So that is the front end. If you have a question that you want to get somebody in at your site to look at, you want a piece of equipment, you just bought a piece of used equipment, you have a question, go to Dust Safety Professionals and we'll connect you with our member companies and our industry partners there to to get your facility installed safely. I also want to say a big thank you to our team at Dust Safety Science. Some of these folks you will have interacted with quite a bit. Others have been behind the scenes. Um, All have made a a near Herculean effort to bring this event together over 50 speakers, three days live, um, another 25 or so presentations that are on very specific topics from fundamentals to industry application. And it couldn't be done without the team. And then last but not least, I just want to say thank you to all of you. Again, the ones that are tuning into this presentation live, if you're watching this replay, if you're just a member of the Dust Safety Academy and seeing this through this replay through some other avenue. Thank you. This is the eighth week in the year. Uh, we've had several dozen emails from you saying how the instant reporting, how the instant database, how the podcast and the other platforms are running it are helping you in your day-to-day operations. Literally, we and we keep every time I get an email, I put it into a a channel we have in our communication tool and say, Hey, another win. Somebody somebody made their facility safer. Somebody got a question answered. And that's what we're we're really about at Dust Safety Science at the Dust Safety Academy is helping to move the needle on in safety in, in these industries and move the needle on safety at your facility. So when tasked with doing the, the keynote to open a conference like this, there's a couple of responsibilities you have, and, and not everyone understands this, and some keynotes maybe don't follow this, this approach, but I see it as really setting the groundwork for understanding that's needed to proceed into the conference. But more than that, I also see it as, as highlighting at a high level where are we at in the community today that this conference is serving. Um, where are we headed and what do we need to do moving forward? So this keynote will be a little bit higher level than the one after it, or the one presentation after by Eric Maynard talking specifically about dust hazard analysis. The one after that um, with Jeff Davis and you know the ones moving forward, which are on very specific topics, this will be a bit higher level than that. What I wanna talk about is the open challenges that we've seen, our team at Dust Safety Science, um, that I've seen throughout our reporting and analysis of incidents over the last five years, and through the the partnerships and projects we've worked on with other groups in this space. So we're going to talk about five challenges. Number one is response to dust fires. Number two is development of a global incident reporting network. Three is awareness of the hazards and risk of dust explosion. Four is language and communication. And five is a safe place to share information. So we're going to go through the incident reports we've done since 2016, talk about where these challenges manifest from that. We're also going to talk about the most recent project completed by the U.S. chemical safety board. Um, And we played a very small role in this project at the very start. Uh, It was nice to see the report come out late earlier or late last year, I guess, and to read the responses that came in through that project. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that were identified there and what they mean for us as an industry moving forward, and also what we're doing with our platforms to help um, fill some of those gaps. Some of the ways that we're filling these gaps include creating two global working groups this year, one on response to dust fires and the other on this global incident reporting system or global incident reporting network. We've also created a number of other avenues from these challenges directly, like anonymous incident reporting, a place to share lessons learned, communicate, Um, safety observations, and you can do this all at dustsafetyshare.com. So if you go there after this presentation, you can click, it's a simple form. You can fill it anonymously. You can leave your contact details, whatever you choose and give us input on these projects. Give us input on the conference. Give us input on what you need as a facility or user or regulator or inspector in industries handling combustible dust. And we will bring together the, the best experts in the world. If you want to volunteer for one of these global working groups, You can do that at dustsafetyshare.com as well. So a couple of administrative things before we get into the meat of this keynote. Number one is this is the Dust Safety Academy. You click on one of these two buttons, it will take you to the conference portal. If you click watch live, you should end up on the page that you're watching this presentation from. And this is really your home base to access the conference. We've released already a number of on-demand videos and presentations for combustible dust. These are either under our fundamentals of combustible dust track, or a continuing education track. Um, I'd encourage you to, to watch these videos on your downtime. They're meant to be there for you to um, consume when it's, it's best for you. The fundamental sessions are really to lay the groundwork for combustible dust safety. Things like hazard analysis, dust collection, management of change, and explosion protection are covered there. And we have our three conference days which will be running live the next three days. We're recovering things like case studies, practical application, newest technologies and advancement in the industry. Each one of these will be done on this watch live page and then the recording will be uploaded shortly thereafter on the day one, day two, day three tabs. We had a break in the action and we have tried to schedule more breaks. That was one of the things that the feedback that came back last year was it was rapid fire, 52 presentations over four days. So now we only have 26 presentations over three days um, and more breaks scheduled. Uh, but if you do get a chance to break, please visit our exhibitors. We have short two to five minute videos on their products and information to see how they can keep your facilities safe as well. From the live page, you'll see the video up at top. If you scroll down below, there's the comments and questions widget. So that is where you put in your questions. And we'll answer those at the end of every presentation. We do have some questions coming in. If you cannot, one question that I see is that they can't hear sound. There should be a little button. Some computers mute your sound when you go live. So if you click that button, it will unmute. Unfortunately, I just realized that if you're stuck in that situation, you're not going to hear these instructions. So if you are stuck anywhere along the way, you can email conference at dustsafetyscience.com and they'll get you unstuck as well. But That's the area to ask your questions. On this page, you can't communicate with each other, but you can communicate with each other through the community forum um, and on the presentation pages themselves. There's areas there where you can talk to other folks. And again, if you are stuck anywhere along the way, email conference at and Jennifer or whoever's on call on the team there will help you with that. Last year, during the opening keynote, I had a slide about why are we here? Because with our company and our work and our research, we spend a lot of time talking about numbers and data and statistics and equipment and engineering and technology and science. But there's a bigger reason why we do what we do. And there's a bigger reason I know why you do what you do. So last year, we shared the story of Kyle Flicker, who was a Minnesota man who um, unfortunately suffered through a rubber dust explosion in 2016. So Kyle, in that video, talked about what he went through as a victim. And it was was quite tragic. He was in a coma for several months, um, life-altering injuries. He was given a very small chance to live and unfortunately did to share his story. We got a lot of thank yous from sharing that video at the start of the conference to really say, this is why we're here this year. I want to share the story of Tammy miser to show what the family and the community of victims from dust explosions go through. Tammy's brother, Sean Boone was killed in the 2003 aluminum dust explosions at Hayes Lemmers in Indiana. And I want to let Tammy share her story. So I'm going to do that and, uh, and then I'll pop back in and we'll go through Go through a bit about this afterwards, but I do want to let her her share her story through this video.
1: Brother Sean Boone and two co co-workers went in to relight a chip melt furnace, and um, they decided to stick around a few minutes just to make sure that everything was okay. And uh, Sean's back was towards the the, the furnace when they uh, were picking up their tools, and there was there was a blast. Um, Some say Sean got up and started walking towards the door and then there was a second more intense blast. Um, Sean didn't die instantly. He laid on the building floor while the aluminum dust burnt through his flesh and muscle tissue. The breast that he took burnt his internal organs and um, the blast took his eyesight. Sean was still conscious and asking for help. Hayes never bothered to call the family and let us know that, that, that Sean was injured or that he was, there was any kind of explosion at all. We received a call from a friend, of my husband Mark's, and he told us that Sean was on his way to Fort Wayne. When Mark reached the hospital where they had all been transferred, um, she asked if Sean was there. Well, they, didn't, they had an unidentified white male there, so nobody had even bothered to identify who my brother was. Um, the only way he was identified by his apparent body weight and structure because he had no body hair and um, no physical markings to identify. We drove five hours that night, hoping and praying it wasn't my brother. Sorry. This, this still brings about guilt because I wouldn't wish this on anybody. We, were, we arrived, and the on-site pastor told us to prepare ourselves because he hadn't seen anything like that since the war. And the doctors told us that they weren't, they weren't going to uh, bandage him, they refused treatment because they said that even they, if they took his limbs, his internal organs were burned beyond repair. And that was pretty apparent by the black sludge they were pumping out of his body. I went in to see my brother and maybe somebody that didn't know him, wouldn't recognize him, but he still had some remnants of his eyebrows, his red eyebrows on, and he also had um, the same face that was splitting and a little swollen, but he was still my bub. Our family immediately started talking about taking him off of life support, and if we agreed to do this, we had ultimately given up on my brother. It would mean that we were taking his last breath. And even though we weren't to blame, We were still making that decision. And we did. We watched the machine stopped, and we watched my brother die before our eyes. We watched him take his last breath. And the two things that I can always remember and that never leave are his last words, I'm in a world of hurt, and his last breaths. I truly feel for these families at the Imperial Sugar Plant. All of them that have had horrible horrible injuries and deaths. Because I know where they are. And I know where they've been. And I know where they're going. I'm really disgusted and I'm hurt. It's the same hurt I felt when my brother was killed. Because this information was out there. And it could have saved them. And it could have saved these people at the Imperial sugar plant. Everybody knows what caused this explosion and it would have been nice to prevent it. We know it's feasible, and it's beyond negligent to expect companies to do this on a voluntary basis. I really strongly believe in OSHA, and I believe it's necessary, but only if it's working. And I felt that in this case, it's failed, and it's really failed miserably. Not only have they failed these families, but the previous ones. I followed this, the chemical board study and um, I came up for that hearing. And I was really excited because I really thought with them giving recommendations something would be done. I thought finally something would be done. But the only thing that did result in that was a bulletin on the combustible desk. And at the very beginning, the first things that it says, it says in, in this, this safety, safety and health information bulletin is not a standard or re- regulation. It creates no legal obligations. And I don't see how this can be expected to be taken seriously when they're sitting there telling them right off the bat that there's really no legal obligation for this. I remain hurt and angry at the lack of compassion by the corporations and OSHA because no matter how much time goes by, the pain never goes away. It never fades and the incident never dies. Our, li- our losses are a lifelong needless sentence because a few people couldn't or wouldn't do what was right. And in conclusion, I would ask you to please support this bill uh, for combustible dust. Thank you.
0: Those are really hard words to, um, to watch and to listen to, but it's the, the truth of the impact of combustible dust explosions. It affects the workers, it affects the company, it affects the families, it affects the community. I've been fortunate enough to have some discussions with Tammy over the last few weeks leading up to this conference and, and asking her if we could use this video. And I actually saw that I just looked at the the analytics and that she's actually in the, the audience um, watching today. So I, I thank her for sharing her story. I thank her for her, her work that she's done with United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities Group. This uh, this image is part of their their FACES program where they Have uh, the loved ones from workplace fatalities um, uh, show their support and and band together and provide them the tools that they need to recover from that. So, again, that's hard to watch, but it's the most important reason why we're here today. And and um, Tammy said, and that video is from 2008, so we're you know talking 12 years ago. We're still on this journey together for combustible dust safety. Some of these regulations these proposed rules haven't been put forth for one reason or another and i guess what what i'd like to say with dust safety academy and dust safety science and this community and everyone in this virtual room today is is we don't have to wait for that we can work together and work towards reducing loss from injuries handling combustible dust it's not just a problem with one industry it's not just a problem with one part of the world the the challenges go beyond that this slide is from 2018 in a presentation I gave at the International Powder Show. This was, uh, when I gave the presentation, was, was five days after I defended my PhD thesis. Uh, three days after we incorporated, or I incorporated DustX Research and started Dust Safety Science. Um, I went in front of the group of folks there, and many of you that are in the audience right now might have been the audience of that presentation. So, our goal with Dust Safety Science and now Dust Safety Academy and Dust Safety Professionals is to see one year with zero fatalities by 2038. But the, the big question I put in that presentation is how do we actually achieve that? So, that's what our goal is to measure what are the biggest focal points, things that need to be addressed to improve safety and in industries handling combustible dust. And how do we use this community to band together to tackle those challenges? Things like communication in the Dust Safety Science podcast. Things like education, Dust Safety Academy, Connection, Dust Safety Professionals, all come out of this mission from, from our company and bringing this community together. We all have similar goals um, to reduce loss of property and product and, and life and limb. But How do we achieve that? And what I put forth in that presentation now almost four years ago was this connected global community. And this is what we're just getting now to the ability to start to put together. We have almost 800 people in the Dust Safety Academy over 230-240 people at this conference specifically and this will give us the tools then to move forward and to start to uh, or continue to make change in industries handling combustible dust. So I want to get through these five challenges that that we see at Dust Safety Science and the ways that we're going to be addressing this uh, moving forward in 2021 and further. Before that I just want to check the Q&A. Someone is asking can you full screen the video uh, that's under your control, so I think if you double-click on the video, it will go full-stream. Um, we don't push that out uh, to the live page. So any questions you have, you can send them to me. The technical ones, I may not be able to answer on the line. to get a faster response from conference.dustsafetyscience.com. But any techno questions um, for the presentation, put those in the Q&A, and we'll make sure those get addressed as well. So for the instant reporting, I want to talk about what's been recorded, what some of the main takeaways are from what's been recorded. And how this leads into the first two open challenges that that we're going to look at addressing this year, response to dust fires and global incident reporting network. Response to dust fires um, is is directly in line with Tammy's story. They actually had at the Hayes-Lemmers facility, they had a fire, I think it was in a fume hood, um, and the explosion was after that. And I'd have to go back and look at the report, but I think they thought they had that fire out when they restarted up the equipment. That was when the explosions uh, occurred. We see this a lot where response to dust fires, either during the response or after the response, actually leads to an explosion that causes loss of life. Um, so we'll talk about that as one of these open challenges. And this is what we're creating the working group on, um, one of the working groups that we're working on this year. These are the incident reports. We release them every six months. And they're really our measuring stick. Uh, at the the International Powder Show, the quote I use is, you can't manage what you don't measure From from Peter Drucker. So this is how we measure what's happening across the globe. You can download these reports on, the, on my presentation replay page. So if you go to day one, um, click on my presentation. At the bottom of everyone's page, there's a resource section. There should be the slides from this presentation there. If they're not there right at this moment, the team will have them up there shortly. And also all of these instant reports will be available on that resources page, as well as a bunch of the resources that, uh, that are from this presentation as well. Since we started recording in 2016, we are recording an average of 266 fires, 76 explosions, 126 injuries, and 15 fatalities every year, strictly related to combustible dust, both combustible dust fires and combustible dust explosions. Two big notes. One, we're still analyzing the 2020 data, so these numbers that you'll see in the next few slides will change a bit. That report should be ready to come out in about a month's time. And by and large, we're underreporting, or dust explosions are underreported or misreported as some other event. Uh, because of that, you really need to keep that into account. So, in the United States and Canada, I think we're probably capturing most of the events that would reach the local newspapers. So, most of the ones that would cause, say, fatalities will. Uh, but there's there's many many that don't, and many many that's not included in this reporting. And and certainly internationally, we have even less coverage. That really leads into the second challenge of developing this global incident reporting network. A lot of the information in other countries isn't even in English, and we do capture. We, we've learned the terms to look for, so we do capture some of these in other languages, but obviously we're missing a lot of information here. Four takeaways from the incident reporting so far. One is just the the number of industries that are exposed to the potential hazards for combustible dust. From the OSHA advance notice on proposed rulemaking, which came out shortly after the hearing that you, you saw Tammy speak at, uh, and unfortunately, uh, uh, the proposed rule was never put put forth and, and moved forward. But in that, they explained that one in 10 workers in the U.S. are working at facilities that generate or handle combustible dust. Over 50% of these are small, medium-sized businesses. So this is one of the key challenges we have from a science and engineering standpoint is the sheer number of materials, the sheer number of industries, and the sheer number of different types of operating processes that handle combustible dust, then how do you keep all of those in mind when you create a regulation or a standard and engineering best practice? It's not impossible. It's been done um, elsewhere in the world and even done to some degree here in, in North America as well. But it is one of the big challenges. There's so many different types of operations, types of equipment, types of materials that it becomes a challenge to um, address these all at once. And, and This is not meant to say as a scapegoat. <laughs> This is meant to say this is a challenge we have as a community moving together. We do quite a bit of analysis on fires versus explosions. Generally, we're seeing the fatalities and injuries resulting from explosions, not exclusively. Uh, We do see, obviously, injuries when you have a dust fire. And we do see a a lot of fatalities and injuries from a dust fire that escalated into a dust explosion. A lot of the large capital loss, though, are coming from fires of course, if you have imperial sugar where you lose an entire facility, that's a large capital loss. But when you have a a dust fire that spreads throughout a facility that has a lot of future dust, even if there isn't an explosion, you lose a lot of downtime. You lose a lot of product and there, there is a lot of loss. So you might have heard me say maybe on the podcast or elsewhere that if you want to protect the workers, you stop the explosions. You want to protect the facility, you stop the fires. What I mean when I say that is you need to do both. We need to have an integrated process of protecting from dust fires and protecting from dust explosions, more, even more important because the fires often lead to an explosion. Get the question quite a bit about how many, and again, this is hard to determine because dust explosions are largely unreported or misreported, but in the United States, we are seeing a dust fire on average every two to three days, um, and a, a dust explosion that's large enough to make the local news about every 10 days, 10 or 11 days or so. And you can kind of see the trend. So last year, we did see in 2020, a decrease in the number of explosions that we found and fires and injuries and fatalities overall. My fear is that as the manufacturing sectors pick up, as this global pandemic um, comes to an end, that we will see a lot of operations getting restarted and a a big uptick in dust explosions. I hope that doesn't happen. But that's a key reason why this event is so important. That's a key reason why thinking about starting up safely in your processing operation, thinking about making investments in this area is a key thing to be looking at right now. We also do quite a bit of analysis on equipment involved. So you look at the U.S. Chemical Safety Board reporting or data out of Germany or data of Japan or Sweden. Um, you do see dust collectors mentioned as having the most incidents. And this is true. We see this in our reporting as well. But we do see a lot of fires and dust collectors as well um, and from what we've seen at least in the last few years we're seeing less fatalities and injuries from dust collector incidents now it's not impossible i think there was actually a dust collector involved in haze Lemmers, um, and certainly in, in other fatal dust explosions but we are seeing that silos and elevators are having the, the largest um, proportion of, of fatal dust explosions from the data that we've captured over the last number of years, one in 10 silo explosions are resulting in a fatality and one in 13 elevator conveyor system explosions. So if you were at a facility today or working with the facility that experienced a silo explosion that made the local news and no one was injured or killed, then you really need to think of that as, as being very lucky. So there's a 10% chance that that somebody will be killed at least from you know our metrics our lagging metrics looking at what's happened over time so say again if you had a explosion at your facility in a silo or a conveying system that didn't result in a fatality and it made the local news you've you're nine out of ten but you don't want to be that one out of ten so we really need to work towards improving safety in these areas and I can't attribute this to this anyone but I have heard a, a good quote that you know the only thing that stopped uh, a near miss from being a fatal incident is luck, then treat it like a fatal incident. And that's what we see in a lot of cases. Things get brushed off uh, due to luck and and then, you know, they're bound to happen again. We still have some questions coming in. Um Derek mentioned asked if are we able to download the slides? Yes. The slides should be under day one and my presentation at the bottom under resources, you should have the slides. The incident report should be there as well. If not, the team's working on it right now it should be up pretty Um, pretty soon keep your questions coming in the q a and we'll we'll spend some time at the end of the presentation going through those as well because i see a couple others coming in i do see another question from derek every year for the five years of the report not sure what that question is so derek if you want to answer that again i'll get to it at the end of the presentation but i'll give you that'll give you some time to to uh to rephrase it so i get that so we saw it in Hayes Lemmers, and we see it in over half of the fatal dust explosions that we find as response to dust fires being a challenge, so if you ask, you know, a lot of um, experts what the biggest challenge is with combustible dust, the the most common response is fugitive dust, and that is a big challenge. I mean, that's something we're we're tackling in dust hazard analysis with NFPA, with ATEX and international guidelines. You know, a consultant in a facility should, I hope, know when he walks in and, and sees uh, high fugitive dust loads so that that's a a um, severely an urgent hazard. Um, but the question I like to ask is, well, what, what's the second biggest challenge? And from the last four years of reporting, this, in my opinion, is, is the second biggest challenge, response to dust fires. This takes the form of during a fire, before a fire, and after a fire. So during, we want to really stop, um, avoid escalating that to an explosion, escalating that to something more serious, spreading it to other parts of the plant. Um, afterwards, we want to make sure that all the fire's out smoldering combustions though because when we start that conveying equipment back up again especially with pneumatic conveying that's when you can have a a large explosion that propagates through all those conveying lines because you started up that smoldering pile and and started transferring that so this is our our first challenge and this is the first working group that we're going to be creating is this response to dust fires if you have input on this go to dustsafetyshare.com you can put it in there anonymously or leave your email whichever you choose You want to join that working group, go to the same place, dustsafetyshare.com, leave a note there and say you want to be involved. We'll start the meetings for this working group probably over the next month or so and and get ready to start tackling this challenge. Thomas Sherpa from DuPont um, put in an abstract to present at the conference on this topic of protecting workers and emergency responders during combustible dust fires, and I, I immediately called them like within two minutes of being submitted and said, Thomas, you need to do this as the keynote at the end of day one, because it's such an important topic. So Thomas will be presenting on this at five o'clock Eastern today um, at the conference as well. Um, If you're interested in in their take and and their experience in this area, uh, it's a critically important, what do you do when a fire happens? What are you planning to do when a fire happens? And what do you do after a fire happens to avoid escalation, avoid loss of more, Facility or material or product and, and avoid injuring um, the workers as well. The second big challenge, and this is a quote from the Chemo Safety Board's Dust Hazard Learning Review, which we'll talk about in the next part of this this keynote. But this quote, I'll read it, and it's from an unknown person because all the, the responses from the uh, Chemo Safety Board report were anonymous. But currently, data on the number of explosions, fires, and near misses due to combustible dust is unreliable and surely underreported due to the perceived liability of end users and sharing this information with outside groups. The creation of a reliable reporting system, even if it means that reports are anonymous, would be a huge step in helping the industry to fully define the problem and work together on a solution. So this is the thought process behind our global incident reporting network and the second global working group that we'll be creating this year. How do we verify incidents? How do we get better international coverage? How do we enhance the information that we get? How can we quantify this effective under-reporting? These are all challenges that we'll be tackling with that working group. Um, bringing groups together like they're already recording. We have groups, um, Purdue University and Kansas State University, U.S. Chemical Safety Board ourselves, um, groups in Sweden and Japan that are tracking in different ways combustible dust incidents. How do we come together to one common systematic framework that uh, that we can share that information that's learned? How do we effectively communicate that out to, to you, the end users, or you, the experts, or you, the equipment providers, to Um, improve these industries. That's going to be the the big topics around that working group. Okay, so we're going to close out this week's podcast episode there. Again, this was a recording of the 2021 Dust Safety Conference. And this was the opening keynote I gave on day one of the event, talking about open challenges for combustible dust safety and charting a path forward as a community. In this first half of the presentation, I talked about why combustible dust safety is such a challenge. Why are we here at the event? Why are we hosting the event? We dived into the first two challenges um, in terms of response to dust fires, developing of this global incident reporting system. As I mentioned, if you're interested in these projects, interested in submitting information that we can use at Dust Safety Science, uh, for the, the research that we're doing, you can go to dustsafetyshare.com. That's the place to get involved there. Um, if you want to get access to the community, go to dustsafetyacademy.com as well. It's free to sign up. Um, it just takes a couple of minutes. You know, you'll have access to the community forums, all of the resources library we put together, and there's the premium membership option as well, which gives you full access to the conference replays, full access to all the training replays that we have. Over 100 videos to date. Um, we'll also give you a complimentary ticket to the 2022 Dust Safety Conference as well. Realizing this future, you can also go to dustsafetyacademy.com and figure out what and how to get access to the material there today. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industry's handling combustible dust making them safer every day with the work that you're doing around the world.